Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Feel the power. Yes, Friday, May 5th, 2023. The day before a loaded combat sports weekend, and you have pulled in to Morning Combat, the award-winning combat sports showcase Brought to you by CBS Sports and Showtime. My name is Brian Campbell, the BBC uh, with the BDE, the Alpha, all those great nicknames here. The partner next to me, though, deserves a round of applause today. He's not only the finest combat sports analyst in the game, regardless of his history of manhood. He's also a guy who was willing to pre-tape today's episode. Because as you listen to this, your boy BC hit in 16 years of marriage on that Cinco de Mayo ass. So Luke Thomas, thank you for uh, uh, allowing me to F with our schedule. I want the people to know we are not live. We are not live right now. We're not live. You know, I couldn't tell if it'd be more fun for me to root for your marriage's failure or success. But then when I really thought about it, I was like, your marriage's failure would create yet more headaches for me. So for that selfish reason alone, I hope you have a wonderful wedding anniversary. You know what I'm well, saying? I, I think that would free me up for more content, Luke. Are you assuming that I would be into you? Is that what you're assuming? Like <laughs> no. from one wife to the other? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it actually quite the opposite. It would be like really sad content. You know what I mean? To be yeah. Oh, yeah, single yeah. dad, washed, depressed energy. And I just feel like only one of us can be the one who mopes a lot between us. Yeah. And it's got to be. Well, me, what if know? I just moved in with the paquettes and became the meat in their <laughs> Nova Scotian sandwich? I mean, that could Dude, be a great. If you, if you and the paquettes made a thruple, I would yes. wish a killer whale to eat all three of you on a, on a kayak ride. <laughs> oh, oh, there you have it. Get fired up. Uh, Mikey Mormile of CBS Sports on the ones and twos behind us. Of course, this is a great show setting the stage for how about tonight, Friday night, one fight night, 10. One championships U.S. debut. We got UFC 2. What are they calling that? 88 this weekend in Newark Saturday. The return of Henry Cejudo. How about Canelo Alvarez, the biggest star in all of boxing, although Gervonta's knocking on that door, brother. He returns against John Ryder. We're going to set the stage, play a little OK bet, and you could try to figure out whether the drapes match the carpet. Luke, what is going on here? I got country time pink lemonade on my face. I mean, yeah. Could like, could you be could you be redder? I mean, you just look but like, then like all pale down hair, and it's just like it's just a weird mix right now. You've been right? drinking on the job there, guy? No, no, I know. This is this is all my caldera lab lotion. I'm trying to turn my skin around, Luke. It's have just, you have you ever do you know or do you or do you associate with anyone who does the flask bit at kids sports? No, no, I do not. I do not. You know what I, mean? I mean, has there ever been a gummy in your tummy at a kid's soccer game, Luke? I hope not. All right, I hope not. But no, no flash. Uh, no he seems like, I haven't attended youth sports sober since I was a youth uh, playing youth sports. 
it was weird. I told you when I went on a date with my wife, this is in the the courting season at age 27, we mm -hmm. went to the movies and I was like, this is the first movie I've been to in at least a decade where I didn't sneak in at least four to five canned beers in my pants. You know what I mean? That's the kind of class you're joining up with right here. All right. You know? <laughs> well, uh, it has lasted. So your wife is certainly understanding and I'm glad to see that. Indeed. 16 years deep. So happy uh, Mayweather de la Hoya anniversary to everyone out there. Uh, Luke, I don't think we have any ad reads. Are we losing sponsors? Are you dying? What's happening here? No, I'm not dying. Although my, I want to, I want to give the uh, the listeners and viewers a heads up. My daughter is sick again, so that oh, means God. that whatever I have here is going to continue, and maybe you get worse. So that's great. Um, Was she in Newark last week? Is that what happened? Luke? Might as well, dude. I mean, these kids they go to kindergarten and they're just they're honking boogers on each other, coughing, yeah. sneezing, farting. I mean, it's just. It's just an absolute petri dish of filth and disease in those things. So I'm going to get sick a lot, I guess. That's it. All right. Well, hey, you know, you had some good moments this week, Luke. John Jones shouted you out in a video. You joined up with your old uh, Java jerk bro for a little coast to coast with Brandon Schaub. Don't mm -hmm. think I didn't see that, Luke. All right. Yeah. yeah. Any any feedback? <laughs> no, I haven't watched it yet. But when I. Oh, it, I'll, OK. I'll, all right. You know, I'll, I'll, all right. Very uh, good. Yeah. I'm sure Reddit probably watched it. I don't, I don't know. I tried. Look, I tried to I have, stay away. I have no yeah. doubt that they have consumed that material in every bit of detail and in ways yeah. that probably don't paint me or him in a positive light. But what can you do? It is what it is. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to pull out of all negativity in my like in my life, Luke. I'm also trying to pull out. Thank you. Thank you very much. All There's right, no there need. You Your balls don't work anymore. You absolutely. That is unit. true. Yeah. Three, three, three of them, Luke. I mean, three. It took three to tame the this bag. You know what I'm saying? All right. <laughs> Might as well get rip roaring and get into today's fantastic show. Uh, quickly yeah. though, Showtime.com, of course, the number one place. Just you can get 30 days free right now. Get some Bellator, get some boxing. Watch that Bill Cosby vehicle. It was fantastic. Check it out. I was going to say the only thing that could tame your bag is a razor at this point. I mean, you must have Billy Goat Air. Just. <laughs> You know, Luke, I, I, there's nothing quite like a shorn scrotum. It's quite breathtaking, in fact, Luke, to be fair with you. All right. There you go. <laughs> Crab Rangoons, luge lessons. You know where I'm going with that. All right. 90s counter, indeed. Um, this is our life, and this is our passion. All right. We got a great show for you. Uh, we just watched the UFC press conference. Nothing happened, right? Just cringe. A lot of cringe. A lot of stupid shit. Yeah. Guys accusing each other of being na nation and race traders and just awful shit in every way you could imagine. So I guess. All right. Who's got the first question? Who's got the first question? Well, obviously, guys, it's a big fight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. Right. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's get into it, Luke. Topic number one on Ugh. today's award winning morning combat. Hey, let's give it up to them. I mean, you know, Shatri Luke, he's not always there when you call or when he tells you he's going to call, you know, but maybe one fight night 10 is exactly on time. Let's give it up for one championship. Of course, the U.S. debut tonight, Broomfield, Bloomfield, Colorado, maybe Broomfield, one of the two, uh, right outside of Denver. And it's going down on prime video. And Luke, I don't need to tell you, this was, this is a big move for one championship. One they expected would have already happened. The pandemic slowed it down. But tonight's U.S. debut, they put a pretty good card together of names we know. And that main event, Demetrius Johnson, Adriano Marais, the trilogy for the one flyweight championship. Luke Thomas, uh, 
I don't know if you're ever going to get a one-on-one with Chatri. Although he was all over shop media this week, so shout out to that. Uh, yeah, he'll, he'll do them. It's not like he doesn't do media. He does media, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What does this mean for the one championship promotion, which to its credit, Luke, they've really started to secure the hardcore fans. They're really making some inroads in Asia and across the way. But what started with the TNT couple summers ago four four fight cards has now evolved to this live on prime video on u.s soil tell me about this i gotta say that in listen i have not had the chance really to have a positive footing this far into my career with chatri sit y'all talking but put that all aside let's just talk about what one has done they already can claim some degree of victory or at a bare minimum, not victory, but certainly they like this move into the U.S. is not a small move, not an easy move, but not a small one. The first thing I just we can't overlook this when the UFC was going state to state to get MMA regulated. I remember this time very clearly and all the arguments they would use and they were very effective. They were able to make quick work of it past a certain point. But there were obviously hurdles and, and things that they ran ran into. But as they began to get their version of the unified rules, yes, it's the unified rules, but that's the one that their business model is tied to. And they got commissions to accept that, not just the United States, but obviously they went, they pressed into Canada with it and uh, they brought it to other places where they self-regulated the Nevada system. Uh, they essentially homogenized the rule set. And they made it this one kind of thing that we now know. And again, you can like certain rule sets or others. There used to be many more diverse rule sets you would see in MMA, something akin to what you still see today in jiu-jitsu, where a lot of different rule sets, a lot of different types. The point I'm trying to make is they got an athletic commission to not undo the 10-point must system and the unified rules. No, that's still in the books. But if a promoter wants to use the one system, uh, that different kind, they can do that. Dude, just to get an athlete, and by the way, Colorado's not like a, a small BS commission. Just to get a commission to do that is incredible. A big victory for them. You really have to say it. That's number one. So the question is, what would define success for Saturday? Obviously, you know, a fun card, memorable results, something that aids their star power goals. But I think they're going to be judged on two levels. One, what were they offering from a live event perspective? Did they sell well? How did it look? How does it compare to other MMA shows? And then last but not least, you know, what does that do for Amazon when you bring the product to the United States with a U.S. crowd, U.S.-based media, a lot of different U.S.-based fighters? Does that make a difference for Amazon on the viewership or retention end for that? These are the levels at which I'm both examining success and then raising broader questions about the future. Yeah, for sure. First Bank Center is the arena, the same venue that held that BKFC show last weekend. And Luke, that's scaled to 6,500 for the attendance. One sold that out two weeks ago. So, you know, they probably could have even gone bigger. Maybe they played the venue size a little cautious, but it will be interesting to see what the, you know, like you said, what that fallout is in terms of the viewership and what the how they can move that. I wonder if this is the kickoff, though, to the idea of a future in which you know, I know Scott Coker used to call them the tent pole cards when Bellator and still does, right? Every you know quarterly sort of has the the bigger, almost pay per view like level loaded cards. I'm wondering if this is the beginning for one Luke of the idea of four or five, you know, of these a year on U.S. soil to really because it's one thing to be that cool streaming thing, but if you can get people to come to your shows or know that you're coming through this way once or twice a year, that does 
that, that is a, a next step. That is the next level of growth and maturation. I like the names on this fight card. I certainly like the storyline and the action potential of this main event. I hope it works well, Luke, because they've made some some really firm moves where I think you would say two, three years ago, you may be have you may have been tuning into a one card, but it hasn't it hasn't been like, oh, I can't miss it now. And not every card has been can't miss for one, but I think over the past year they've really made a made a strong push heading into this US debut where I finally took the bait, Luke, and I really enjoy the product. So, yeah, you know, it's, I, I got to be cheering for him here, whether Shatri lets me on The Apprentice or not. I got to be sharing, cheering for him. I like their product. I've said it before. I think it's the most different from the UFC in terms of giving uh, MMA fans a genuine alternative. Also, dude, I've been to the First Bank Center a couple of times. I went there for a Glory event, and I went there for uh, the Florian versus Lausanne fight back in the back in the early, I forget which UFC fight night it was, one of the earlier ones. And, uh, it, you know, yeah, it's a smaller venue, but it still feels pretty decently sized. Plus, I actually think it was smart to go rather than to the Pepsi Center down the road or whatever it's now called, the one in Denver, which I think holds 14,000, 15,000. They put Jones versus Rampage there. I, I, UFC 135, I think I attended that one. Um, the point I'm trying to make here is they actually made sure that they sold the whole thing out. They're going to have hardcore fans. That crowd's going to be raucous. You know, I remember going to Bellator's pay-per-view with tito in memphis but it was actually across the way in mississippi and they scaled it for ten thousand, and they didn't fill it out and it was close it was like you know eighty five hundred nine. but i don't know like even it's like they're trying to grow up and they still couldn't do it on that one big opportunity so uh, i actually think that they played this one really really well again dude the, the product is great it's just that the guy who runs it says dumb shit in public so there you go there is some truth to that uh the main event as we mentioned johnson marais three marais had a title defense in between but for mighty mouse demetrius johnson this is his third straight fight against the same opponent we know the the cool storylines coming in of how the first two fights ended bj when he made the, the the move over from ufc in that trade with askren originally won the one flyaway tournament then when he stepped up against the defending champion Marais in April of 2021, that one was on TNT to kick off that series. He lost by second round knockout via knee. Obviously, we know Mighty Mouse came back in August of last year in the fourth round in Singapore, landing almost basically that same exact knee to win back the title. Remind us at age 36 that he's still here among the pound for pound best in the world. And we already know where he stands historically. But Luke, um, this is a pretty big deal too for Mighty Mouse. You got to believe headline. You know they 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 brought in Eddie, they brought in uh, Sage Northcutt, they brought in uh, you know Misha Tate and Rich Franklin as executives. But Mighty Mouse, when he came over, still had a lot left in the tank. Still has a lot left in the tank. And even though Luke, you can check out the full interview with him I did on YouTube.com/slash Morning Combat along with Rich Franklin, one's vice president. DJ told me he also told Ariel in the lead up to this, hey, this could be his last fight. He's not going to put any pressure on himself, but whenever he feels like it's over, he'd rather get out too soon rather than too late. Does that add any, I don't know, onus to this, some potential watchability that win or lose, good or bad, this could be the last time you see that mouse, Luke, walk out there? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, we're talking about an all-time great. He's kind of telegraphing, not declaring, but kind of telegraphing that it could be. And Dude, Marais is a tough guy to beat. I mean, like I can understand why he's giving himself room. I mean, maybe he goes in there and has this unbelievable performance and runs the table on him and just feels great and wants to do it again. Great. Maybe he goes in there and has a blood and guts affair, win or lose, and is like, ugh, I don't know if I want to keep doing this, man. Like, I, I get yeah. that. I get he's accomplished so much. This fight absolutely does have relevancy, and I think will add to his legacy should he prove victorious 
in some way. But again, most of what he's done is already written in stone. Uh, just one of the best fighters of all time, one of the best UFC fighters that ever lived, independent of weight class, a remarkable champion, a remarkably well-rounded talent, a guy who uh, has been the bar for excellence in a number of different ways, who certainly has all the respect of his peers. You know, they don't really talk shit about Demetrius at all. You don't hear people say bad things about him, either as a person or a fighter. There's not really much to say in that regard. You only really have a whole lot of positive things. So if he's saying that he doesn't have a whole lot of these left, it's worth listening to him especially given how absolutely tough this fight is going to be absolutely the uh most uh, there's not a ton of odds makers who do set lines in the states for the one fight so i'm sure the promotion hopes that changes with this right. debut, that's, a, but that, that's all tied to money too like whatever uh inroads they want to make there, getting that more part of this american footprint yes. is big for them most books at the moment, though, have Demetrius Johnson around a minus 175 betting favorite, plus 140 for Adriano Marais, who is not only huge for this weight class, but because of the weight cutting and rehydration rules, as DJ always says, don't consider me a you know, 125er anymore. I'm basically a bantamweight with how they do it here. Let's hear from Mighty Mouse. I caught up with him a week ago uh, on being chosen to headline this and whether he feels, you know, this is be just another fight or something completely different. Let's listen to it. Yeah, I think they believe in my brand. You know, I, I haven't had a boring fight in, in one championship yet. You know, the Rod Ting fight was a banger. The, you know, the second Adriano fight was a banger. The first one was kind of, you know, we didn't get a chance to be a banger because I was trying to get to him. And as I was trying to force myself to get to him, I ended up getting caught. You know, I take a lot of risk when I fight. You know, I'll, I was talking to the coaches about that. And they're saying, like, people who never take risks will never be big. They will never have a, a good enough brand or exciting brand for people to get for people to get behind so for me i've taken risks my whole entire career in my fights you know people are like oh you never took a risk against tina doshaw they didn't want to pay your boy so but i'll <laughs> take a risk in in my fights you know you look at the kyojo Gucci fight last second arm bar look at the ray borg fight you know the mighty whiz bar though all those fights i was winning i didn't have to do you know take a risk on opposition to myself to go for you know an amazing submission so for me i'm always taking risk in the last fight you know I took risk too by pushing the pace. You know, I was on my back a lot, but hey, that's what you got to do when it comes to fighting. That's funny. You don't think of him as a risk taker, but as he land, as he names all the, you know, big spectacular moments, particularly in the second half of his career, it does involve a lot of risk to pull that off. And uh, and I mean, look, we were doing the resume review with Henry Cejudo that people, of course, can check out on our page. There, they're calling DJ the greatest of all time. Like not, you know, like like a, a while yeah, ago, sure. sort of universally regarded here. Um, we know maybe why he doesn't always get the, the full attention hype thing, you know, the levels that he deserved and he didn't get that on top. And the, and the little mention there about, you know, they should have paid your boy if they wanted him to move up to Bantamweight in the UFC. But would you classify him as a risk taker? Is that a fair way to say it at times? I think he, I, I would absolutely say that he is. I mean, you know, just like the level of, I get what you're saying. Like he, if he was more risk willing, he would have gone to 135 to fight Dillashaw earlier. Maybe, maybe there's something, something to be said for that. I think the issue is that what he highlights is right. Namely, he makes the risk taking that he does look so effortless. But in yeah. the hands of a less capable operator, all of those things that he had mentioned could have blown up in his face and in dramatic ways and would have, we would have been like what is this fucking idiot doing you know but instead in his expert control 
he almost makes it look not just spectacular, but safe, uh, uh, inevitable. Um, so, yes, I, there could be guys who accepted dumber fights for dumber reasons, but I don't think that's him. And, and as an operator, he is so skilled, it's, it's absurd. He's got the black diamond in front of him, 35-year-old Adriano Moraes, who his previous two defeats in one, which came over the past uh, seven years, he avenged both in the immediate rematch. So it'll be interesting to see how both respond in this third fight. But let's go one back, one more time back to DJ to sort of talk about, you know, where does this rivalry fit in in his great career and sort of the unique aspects of it coming so close together? You know, it's funny you say rivalry, and this, these aren't my words. These are words from other, uh, I guess you say, interviewer, interviewees, interviewers. They're like, this isn't really a rivalry. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, it's so short, right? Like, when you look at my, you know, my John Dotson, my Joseph Benavidez uh, fights, or even my email, that one's back-to-back. But this one's kind of back-to-back, you know? I, I feel like, you know, you look at rivalries, the greatest rivalries in, in mixed martial arts history. You look at John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. You look at, you even look at Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Bret Hart, right? It's a long buildup. They're always behind each other's river mirror. They're always, they're always intertwined in each other's life, right? You know, you look at when I fought Joseph Benavidez, we fought at UFC 152 in Toronto. And then, you know, I ended up beating him. Then he went off and won three fights. I went off and won three fights. Then we got intermingled again. Our past kind of converged together, right? Where I'm at press conference i'm like oh did you see joseph fight i'm like yeah i saw a fight he looked great you know same thing with john knotts when we fought it you know january 2013 and then fast forward to ufc 197 we're fighting again after he went off and did three he knocked he was knocking out everybody he was becoming the boogeyman he was knocking people out and then it was almost like we came back together so with me and adriano it doesn't really feel like the same rivalry because it's back to back like we fight in 2021, I got knocked out. Then I fought Rod Tang, and then we fight again, and now we're fighting again. So there's only been a nine month separation between us. So we we didn't haven't had that kind of buzz that I've had in the past as a rivalry. Great, great. It's going to be another great fight, great opponent. But when I compare it to my other, and this is this all came from somebody else pointed it out to me. I was like, holy shit, you know what? You're actually right. And then I was like, you know what? You're kind of right. It's like it's like the turtles and Shredder. It wasn't two episodes. It wasn't three episodes. It was a lifelong. Uh, it was lifelong. That was that. That was kind of like the synopsis. So for this, you know, this would be the last time. You know, whether win, lose, or draw, our our storylines would never converge unless a huge bag of money comes in into my my lap. So for me, it's you know, it's a great fight, another opponent. But when I look back on my career as the substance of rivalry, where I have to talk about this person for months, even years. Sure. This is a very short, short one because we're short. Back, back now. now, if you went back and fought like. Yuya Wakamatsu again, and he fought Reese McLaren and somebody else. And then I went off, I fought Kyra Akhmatov, and then another guy, another guy. And then we came back and we're both in, in, in each other's river mirror. Different story, but this isn't the case for this one. Well, we'll see how this plays out, Luke. I love the matchup. I mean, do you have any feels on which way this goes or or, or how it ends up looking? There, There is that size factor for Adriano Moraes, but man, DJ really showed us his greatness in that rematch. Yeah, two things I think. Uh, well, really one, but to the point is, interestingly enough, in the second fight, DJ was controlled for the first two rounds. I mean, the bulk of it, in Rich Franklin's words, he spent on his back. Um, that's true. And then he got rocked in the second round with a head, surprise head kick. Morice. and by the way, I'm told you can say Morice or Morice just depending on which kind of accent you have in Brazil. I don't know. Who the hell knows? But what I do know is 
that here's what I think is the dominant factor. DJ has a very, very difficult task with this guy with uh, managing distance, range, and everything else. I think altitude is going to be a huge factor here because you noticeably see Marias slow down during round three. And, of course, DJ finishes him off in round four after having a hot start in the first and second round. Now, I don't know exactly, like to say, I'm not declaring to you he has bad cardio, but he definitely couldn't keep up the same pace, especially as DJ makes adjustments over time. So provided he doesn't get finished, and I do think his cardio will be really good, he's been out there for a time to acclimatize, um, I think this is going to be a bit of an uphill climb for Marais. If we were at sea level, I don't really know exactly how I would feel. I, would, I think it would change a little bit, but because of that equation, and I don't know exactly what Marais is doing, but I know that DJ is going to have good preparation for this, although I don't think he's fought at altitude before. Anyway, I think that's going to be a really decisive factor here for a guy who, after two rounds, slowed down in the second fight. I think it's going to happen again in the third. I'm just a washed civilian, Luke, but having just spent 10 days vacationing in Colorado and Utah and like seeing, you know, just flying into four, five, six thousand feet, kicking my ass for days. Dude, like I remember you remember the 1990 final four uh NCAA championship was UNLV against Duke, and Duke got clobbered by 30 points. And you know, Bobby Hurley sucked that night, and everybody's like, Well, the altitude. I remember thinking, like, man, what a lame excuse. You know what I mean? Get out there and ball. You know, they can't beat them rebels. Uh, but dude, I can't even like walk upstairs in altitude. So basically, if you're not training at altitude, what are you doing, Luke? Why are people in South Florida? I don't get it. I mean, I, I get why people would be near the beach or something like that and want to live in Florida. But I'm saying in terms of the competitive advantage, it can be significant in certain ways. Or the disadvantage, if you're unaccustomed to it, can be really hard to get used to. Um, you know, uh, fighting in the – and this is also like Mexico City is even higher than that. Mexico City is yeah. even higher than Denver. Um, so, you know, there's guys have been able to do it. Tony Ferguson has looked marvelous at it, but you can see, man, if that's in your back pocket, if even at altitude, you can keep the same pace you normally do anywhere else. Sky's the limit, dude. You're, you you should win uh, over time with something like that. Is DJ more likely to officially have a, you know, put the gloves down. Thank you, everybody, for being here moment. If he wins or loses on Friday night. Loses loses i think if he wins and wins triumph well there's also a case where if he wins really triumphantly that's satisfactory to him as well i think i think what will happen is if he if he feels like it was too easy or too short or you know it was a nice win but i uh, i didn't quite get out of this experience what i was looking for then after that there could be a secondary one but again if it's a tough scrap and he's all fucked up afterwards or he gets knocked out like he did in the first fight yeah that could be that could very much be the end of him He's 36. Indeed. He's old. It'd be interesting to see Rod Tang in the co-main event in a flyweight Muay Thai bout against Edgar Tabaris. Luke, we got some submission grappling with Mikey Musumeci. Uh, mm -hmm. Stan Fairtex, who I consider to be the, the most exciting fighter in, in one championship, Luke. It must see potential in terms of those Adam Waite brawls that she's in. She's got a fight here against Elise Anderson. Uh, also, the return of Sage Northcutt. Damn, also, Luke. RDR, former two-division champion Rainier DeRitter, going to be in a middleweight sub submission grappling match with Ty Ruotolo. And I'm sure you can throw some extra also's on here. You Roberto, know Soldich. Roberto Soldich, big free agent acquisition by one. You know their roster pretty well. Is this, for the U.S. audience, the best mix in your eyes of, of if, it, if this is the close-up, this is the first time people might flip over? I mean, it's not their first time... <coughs> 
being, you know, aired in the U.S., but I like what they put together is what I'm trying to say here. Is it the best version of what they have? I don't think so for the U.S. audience, but to your point, I think it's pretty good. Um, as you mentioned, we all know DJ's in the main event. I think that's exactly the right call to make. By the way, I want to point out that that I know it's at 135, but this is basically, you know, these guys are flyweights. I mean, I guess they call them bantweights at this point, but we're talking about the best flyweight of all time even though this fight's at 135 that you the the one debut is featuring these lighter weight class guys i guess the point i'm trying to make and uh that shouldn't that shouldn't be looked past for a promoter doing that that really is a nod to i think more the hardcore fan yeah yes that's the star but at the same time you know demetrius has struggled here historically in terms of that level um the other thing i would say bc on this card uh if they wanted to i you know I'm a little surprised they didn't put Bouchesha on the card. Fluent, yeah. fully fluent in English. I think uh, either trains and lives here, but he certainly makes a lot of time here if he's back in Brazil. Um, you know, and like he's the future of their division. He's a really fun submission grappler. I'm a little surprised they didn't put him, but obviously they've got other cards to fill. So I, you know, who knows what the situation is with that? You mentioned 28 year old Roberto Soldich from from. Uh... From Bosnia and Herzegovina, Luke didn't expect to be pulling that out of it today. Uh, were you that you were telling me that he lost to Amoslav in the past? And Luke, you know, he lost to DDP in 2018 and then came back and knocked out Africa's only champion in the rematch. Uh, I think by the way, he is, identifies as Croatian. I could be wrong at this point, uh, but to your point, I think he was born there. Um, no, the guy who beat Yaroslav, uh, Yaroslav Imoslav was uh, uh was he's undefeated. No, he's un was, was the guy in the UFC card. It's not gotcha, gotcha. It's not this gentleman. Okay, this gentleman lost to Yaroslav Amosov, is what I'm trying to tell you, Luke. Yeah, that's how good Amosov is. Amosov's a Amosov's a beast. Also, Drikus Duplessis beat him, and then he came back in their rematch and finished him off with strikes in the third round. So are you aware um, that, I, that I that I teed you up with that fact about 15 I know. I was trying to get my goddamn notes up, and I misheard that part. I'm sorry, bro. I'm trying to do better with that. Uh, thank you, Luke. Yeah, let's see what one's got here. Uh, Sage Northcutt is back in a lightweight bout. Uh, we talked about when this fight was announced, but Ahmed Mutaiba is his opponent, Mutaba. And 10-2 uh, and two on a two-fight winning streak in one is Mutaba. So, uh uh, you know, are you just looking for Sage's face not to fall off here, Luke? Uh, have yeah. you counted him out? Is this an attraction fight to you? What do you think here? Yeah, I mean, listen, the guy was off for four years. I wasn't sure he was coming back, dude. I mean, that was a brutal loss that he took. And, uh, you know, all the credit in the world to want to get back out there. I'm surprised. Wouldn't be surprised if he's like one and done, too, by the way. I mean, like, people, these guys can say what they want, but we'll see. Um, so I, I respect that he should mop the floor with this guy. Also, don't want to forget Ong uh, Laensang from yes. the Burmese Python from Myanmar. So the, he's also on the card as well. Yeah, they, they put some guys who they're action-oriented dudes on there. Um, it's, a de it's a very commendable effort for a U.S. debut, given the circumstances. I'm video hosting that one, Luke, Friday night in Colorado. Let's go to topic two. Uh, the King is back in terms of boxing circles and fandom and the former pound for pound number one, Canelo Alvarez, still your reigning and defended undisputed super middleweight champion back for the first time though, since a 2022 that saw him face some setbacks, not only the loss to Dimitri Bivol in May and moving up to try to challenge for that light heavyweight title, 
but the victory in the trilogy with Gennady Golovkin in the fall, in which, look, it was just kind of ho-hum. Wouldn't say lifeless, but both look their age. The problem here is Canelo's only 32, even though he's been a pro since 2005, when he was 15 years old, which is crazy. But Luke, John Ryder, the mandatory opponent from England, he's got a couple losses, aggressive southpaw, though, on a nice streak since his loss to Callum Smith in their title bout. Uh, one that was disputed, though, that a lot of people thought John Ryder should have won. He's won 4-0 since then. He beat Danny Jacobs and sent him essentially into retirement. Then he stopped an unbeaten fighter to get this opportunity. So, Luke, the theme here for Canelo is that we're going home. It's the zone pay-per-view, but it's in Guadalajara, his home city. First time he's fighting in Mexico at all since 2011. They're scaling the stadium to about, I believe, uh, 50 to 60,000. But nobody thinks he's going to have trouble, right? Even with this, let's say, soft minority lingering narrative out there. <coughs> that at 32, we're certainly in the second half of Canelo's great prime. But is that prime over, Luke? Is that prime almost over? What was 2022? If he comes in and cleans up on John Ryder, we'll, we'll throw that out the window and forget it. In your eyes, what was 2022 for Canelo after two or three of the hottest years we've seen any elite fighter have? Yeah, I, I mean, it was a bit of a step back, but it's not clear exactly it's declined just yet to me. I mean, Triple G is, he, you know, he didn't step on the gas, so you're like, what really happened there? It's hard to know. And Bivol, he was just overmatched. I mean, what are you going to do? That was, he, you know. Now that we know, I mean, hindsight being 2020, he was never going to win that one, right? Like, that was not going to happen on that night, certainly. And so, okay, fine. He didn't look great there. He looked overmatched and and out-physical, too, but out-technical at the same time, given the circumstances again. And then you go into the Triple G trilogy, and it was like, I don't know. He just couldn't get out of the third gear or something. That right. was the weird part. So I just don't know what to say about it. I mean... There is, to your point, we should just say it out loud, the boxing world basically isn't sure, but they have suspicions, some do anyway, that Canelo Alvarez might be on the decline. And we simply just don't know. And the worst part is, BC, a fight like this won't really tell us that, dot, 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 unless Canelo has really fallen off a cliff. Uh, yeah, because yeah, even, look there's, there's ways he can win and kind of camouflage that he actually has declined, right? Look, did I think Ryder was going to be even a fade of Danny Jacobs? No. So there's certainly been moments in which he's lifted himself and you'd been like, okay, man, he's a, you know, he's a tough fighter. He's a tough out, but he doesn't have a fight changing power for the most part. The stoppage win that allowed him to move into this spot, you know, winning the interim title and becoming the number one contender here at the WBO. Uh, you know, the, the, the fighter that he fought, I forgot the guy's name for a second here. Um, I'll look it up, but you know, he had a hand injury that forced him to retire. So, you know, Ryder's not a killer. But he is a southpaw who fights on the lead foot. He tries to get inside on you, tries to go to the body. You just feel like even with a Canelo who, who I don't know, what if he is at 80% of where he was when he walked through the division in 2019 and became the undisputed champion or 2021, whatever it was, Luke. Um, he still, this still might be the right style just for him to light up in that regard in Ryder, who's, who's hungry and aggressive from London and, you know, nice guy. But there's not there's not enough nuance in his boxing game to try to pull off an upset here in the traditional way. And I just don't think he has the power to move Canelo at the end of the day. So then the narrative becomes some about the Canelo Mexican experience and returning to his home country. 
and a lot about what's next. But one thing I want to touch on the Mexico thing, Luke, is I'm shocked that this fight happened right now. Not, and I don't mean necessarily because of the, you know, like the travel, like U.S. travel. Well, there's not a ban, but there's a there's a firm question here, Luke. Right on. It might not be safe to go in all of Mexico at the moment. Um, I don't know if the what you're so what you're describing as someone who has traveled to places where this has happened. Uh, you're, are you asking? Has the State Department issued a travel advisory? Yes, for I, U.S. citizens going to Mexico. I don't know. People are 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 taking it. So look, Canelo himself said this week. Eddie Hearn told me how hard it would be to make this fight. I kept pushing him to make it. He made it. Now I see how hard it was to make this fight. So the storyline in terms of Canelo coming back here, Lucas, he's turning down um, insane money. There was an offer from Saudi Arabia, according to Eddie Hearn. There was a big one in London. And then there were plans for Las Vegas for this fight. Canelo wanted it in Guadalajara. So he's willing to take that pay cut. They expect that he'll still make um, eight, uh, eight figures for this fight, but it will, you know, will not be in the 45 million he was guaranteed against Golovkin or the fact that just two days ago he showed up on the Forbes highest paid athlete list, having made 110 million in 2022, fifth, the fifth highest paid athlete. Jesus. So Canelo openly taking a pay cut. But what I thought was interesting, Lucas, he hasn't had the best relationship with Mexico in recent mm -hmm. years. And how I want to explain that is we didn't know when he was preparing to fight Rocky Fielding in 2018 in December in New York, that simultaneously at that moment, one of his brothers, remember he's, the youngest of seven, I believe seven or eight brothers, they all turned pro. One of them got kidnapped. He was essentially negotiating with the kidnappers, then doing media and kind of alternating. And he said the reason he didn't contact Mexican authorities or the government or go public with it was his fear that the police were involved. You right. then look into his comments negatively against the way that the government treats athletes. So Canelo was on the Olympic uh, junior team, essentially, at age 15. He claims, Luke, all these years later that the Mexican government promises certain amounts of stipends and financial protection for their athletes that are, you know, representing the Olympics, no different from a lot of countries, but that the Mexican government just doesn't come through and follow up with it. So he says he calls them liars and stealers. That was a big decision why he turned pro at age 15 that same year. And even this fight week, there were media reports uh, from, from some of his scrums in which he's still calling out the Mexican government for... Just like, you know, I believe there's been one medalist in Mexico in boxing in the Olympics since 2000. It was a bronze medal. So um, him kind of being so outspoken in this way, I am a little bit surprised that now was the time for him to do the big homecoming thing. Maybe it just worked out because, you know, Canelo doesn't dodge mandatories. He collects the belts, but he, you know, protects them too for the most part. He had to get it done just like when he fought Avni Yildirim in, that, in the Miami Stadium a couple years back. But I, I am, I'm shocked that, like, everyone's happy and all making good yet they're not fully happy you know what i mean you still see these snide comments come out of them not like i think yeah, they're kidnapping yet. But, but there is a difference too though like we should we should say it like what you're describing is canelo alvarez's feud with the mexican sporting establishment basically mm -hmm. the government plays a role in that but it starts essentially there in general and that has led to, I think what you're trying to say is that has led to, in certain ways, tension with the Mexican people because it put, it's put him at a distance in terms of being a representative for Mexico, to your point, hate went pro early instead of taking an Olympic route or whatever the case may be, not having fights there, you name it. All the different ways in which it impacts his relationship to the, to the fans. All the more reason to go take a big fight to the fans, right? All the more reason yeah. 
you know, his last mandatory was the Turkish guy. Uh, I think you mentioned Avni Yildirim. It was yep. in Miami. It was in Miami, which obviously is a heavy Latino population, but it's not the same thing. I think he was like, listen, if I'm going to have one of these, I, you know, I, the guy's loaded with generational wealth beyond our wildest imagination. You know, if I understand him taking a pay cut, I understand him wanting to be more of that symbol for the Mexican people to have that better relationship with them. And then, then to do this kind of thing, to get that some guys don't want it. Some do, some guys get it more easily. Some guys have to work for it. I think Canelo felt like it was a good time. If not now, when, and yeah, yeah pull the trigger. I mean, they, they ended up bringing out his entire family, all of his brothers that fought and had them all on the stage at the press conference. So there does seem to be some of this like nationalism. Let's have our hero come back and fully embrace him. Um, the talk about his future, though, Luke, there was, uh, if you if you look closely, a lot of that chatter. And as much as we may want Canelo Alvarez to come back to the 168-pound division and specifically welcome David Benavides this fall, all signs as of right now are pointing to his desire instead to rematch Dimitri Bivol. So I did a bunch of research on this. It was back in April when Bivol came out and essentially said, I'll rematch him later this year, but I'm not going to wait around for him. I'm not going to do it on his terms. He had the rematch clause. He didn't want to fight me right away. So, you know, essentially he's not calling the shots. Now, this is not like Bivol to talk this aggressively, but what he was trying to say was if they do a rematch this fall, he says it has to be at 168. Look, he said for years he could make super middleweight. He's offered it in the past. But here's what's interesting. Canelo was asked about that this week leading up to the fight. He said, I will absolutely not fight him at 168. It has to be same weight, same division, preferably same arena. They fought in T-Mobile last year. Canelo literally wants to run this back under those same terms. Now, to remind you, it was 115-113 on all three scorecards. But everybody that watched that fight had it between 11 rounds to one and like nine rounds to three for B-Ball. Like he handled him, right? He's, he handled him. And while I respect Canelo's, you know, true competitor and gumption, and, and even though I've towed the line, Luke, in reality, you can never say he's ducking Benavidez when he's going up to fight Bivol, you know, one weight class higher. He says, and he used a lot of F words this week, he said, I won't fight him at 68 because no one's going to give me any fucking credit for it. You remember, Luke, when Andre Ward was super middleweight champion and Chad Dawson was light heavyweight champion and Chad said, Dude, I could make 68. I'll come down and fight you there. Ward said, okay, do it. Ward knocked him out. Everybody tried to take away the credit from Ward for that win, even though it was mm. Chad who said he'd come down. Mm. So I get this from, from Canelo. Bivol would only want to cut down and wait basically to try to become the undisputed champion in the second weight class. But, dude, Canelo calls these shots, like, truly and really. Like, I'd rather him want to go the direction of Benavidez, but he wants this. And, you know, Luke, he's finally admitting now that he wasn't 100% focused heading into the B-Ball fight. And I'm wondering if for the first time some of the celebrity Canelo took over him because there was a, a boxing scene did an interview with Oscar Valdez last week who's in the same camp as Canelo. And Valdez said, I've never seen Canelo more hungry than right now because he wants the B-Ball rematch so bad. And then they asked him, well, what happened the first time? And he said, Canelo just wasn't as focused in the gym. He was golfing a lot. He was handling a lot of his business obligations on the side. And Luke, I did a little bit even deeper research. Canelo said he's going to become a pro golfer when he retires from boxing. Like this is a I saw thing. That too, yes. So, you know, I wonder if that was it. I wonder if that was part of it, but I don't think that was most or all of it. So this is still, it's like, we're, we got this John Ryder fight, but no one's talking about the actual fight. It feels like if Canelo wants to make Bivol 2 happen, it will happen. 
there's still a big hill to climb, even if those scores were closer than they should have been. Still a big you know, hill to climb. You know what occurs what occurs to me is that moment against Caleb Plant that Canelo had. We were there for that that November of twenty one, I think it was something like yeah. that. The November of twenty one when um, he fought, he he unified one sixty eight and undisputed. He became the the belt holder for all four. I guess the thing is, this is why you could be like, well, I guess he had a hangover fight against Bivol. The the thing that complicates the whole narrative is that weird ass, not bad Triple G performance, but definitely not, definitely not great. So it actually leads me to want to ask you a question: What would you consider success here? Because you mentioned the Rocky Fielding fight. What did he dust him off inside of two rounds or something? Yeah. Three at most. It was three like rounds. It was a yeah. It was a walk off. Like it was nothing. Is that what he has to do here? If he's you know if he's still the same guy or still close to it, it's. It's what he might end up doing anyway, not as early as fielding, because fielding seemed once those body shots compounded to just kind of be like, all right, I'm I'm not I'm done, but you know, I'm here for the slaughter, more or less. Ryder, I think, will be durable. He'll try to move as much as he's trying to get inside on you. He's trying to use footwork. It's just, you know, Canelo's way too skilled. So Canelo, I think, does need to make a statement for the public. Like it's not necessary, right? But like this guy is a true competitor, and 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 you know it's like give the all the respect in the world for him. God, he's trying to run back this Bivol rematch that nobody really wants. I mean, Bivol is still hoping to get better B for all four titles at some point later this year. Didn't but didn't top rank win the the, the first, be, the first Callum for that? Smith? Yeah, uh, oh, better Beef has a Callum a. Smith mandatory title defense first up Oof. at light heavyweight. But uh, yeah, you know, look, I I wonder if if this is that statement comeback win for him. I think he does need a stoppage to firmly put the exclamation point in it. But I mean, it's not that he was not competitive against Bivol. It's just that I that's where the the size caught up with him. He can beat other light heavyweights. Bivol and Better Beaver just on a different level skill wise, along with their their power. And you know, we thought Bivol was a boring robot. Sometimes he was not a boring robot in that fight, and that's why he won it. So. Man, I wish I could just call up Saul and just be like, man, I know you got big balls. I know you want big challenges. <laughs> but 68 at Showtime right now is hot fire, man. You know what I mean? Let me ask you, know you this. Let me ask you this. Is he – because Benavidez is not a Mexican national, correct? Like Benavidez maybe he's got – born in Phoenix. His dad's Mexican. His mom is Ecuadorian and uh, something else. Dominican. Sorry. Okay. All right. So I don't know if he's a Mexican national ways that Canelo is. Let me put on my tinfoil hat. Yes. Do you think Canelo is going to Mexico now in anticipation that a Benavidez fight will happen and he's planting these seeds to like win out? Now, like, obviously, he's going to have more fans than Benavidez, but you know, oh, I love this. Like, like prime the Mexican fan pump in anticipation of an eventual showdown with Benavidez. So you're saying Canelo's actually so uber competitive that when. Ben, yeah, he heard, of course he heard, all those cheers that Benavidez got in Las Vegas against Caleb Plant. Luke, they lifted him up like he was their their hero. Like he was Yeah, the you know what? Player. I got to be honest. I, I got to be honest. I had been to Benavidez fights before. Um, I had not been to a crowd like that for him. That that opened my eyes. Like they love David Benavidez. And in he ways lived up to it. By. From the weigh-in, from how nasty he was acting in the interviews, like through the fight, like he lived up to everything they would want. So that's a great point. What if he's getting ahead of it of going, oh, you think you got Mexico now? I'll show you who's got Mexico. Let's go out there and knock out Ryder in Guadalajara, potentially. We'll see what happens. And then let's, yeah, go through b win or lose. I mean, win or lose, coming back down to 68, 
he would have to commit himself here full time to beat the names that are piling up underneath, meaning Canelo yes. against, you know, maybe Jamal Charlo and all, you know, and everybody else there. So maybe it's let's get this light heavyweight thing done with. I do think I can beat him. I mean, you know, we're not going to count that against him, I guess, Luke. He did wait. Golovkin make two years, wait two years, though. Never forget that. He 100% made Golovkin wait and get he a did. little bit older. This would be a scenario where Benavidez might get you think Benavides gets better with time? Like you don't want to wait too long, right? I I think he's I, I you know he he made me eat crow in that fight. I I I, I should have known better anyway. But dude, I think he's ready to start moving downhill on people. I really do. That fight against Caleb, dude. Caleb Plant is a very good, very good fighter, and he had his moments in that fight. But Benavides was. To my my favorite description, BC, he was fucking inevitable that night. Yeah, he was inevitable that night, and, and like uh, a, I feel and like, like he's only growing into Cotto. that. Dude, just like Margarito versus Cotto in that way, where it's like, you know, Cotto in that first fight, hand wraps aside, loaded hand wraps aside, potentially. Um, you know, Cotto was looking great early on, but it was like, dude, Margarito's fucking coming. The boogeyman is down the hall, and he's he's walking very slowly, and he'll be here. Damn. Um, but then again, maybe Morel upsets Benavides. Like this is a, like this is where right. it's at. One sixty eight right. right now. So uh, love it. Um, anything else you're looking forward to? I mean, we got Julio Cesar Martinez in the co-main event defending his one fifteen title against Ronald Batista. That's always fun. Alexander Vazdik is back. Luke he had retired with a brain injury, unfortunately. When Better Beef unified titles that time. I was about to say after Better Beef. Whooped up, whooped, whooped up on him. I thought he was done, but here yeah, he is. Yeah, that was his first loss. He walked away. Uh, he believes he's healthy enough to come back. But uh, if Canelo wins by decision, are you going to criticize him after? Maybe. Yeah. Right. Honestly. I mean. Not criticize, if, but just tell him he's no longer that dude. Right? There's a difference there. Yeah. Again, it doesn't mean that if he stops him that you can say, oh, he's still right on top. It wouldn't necessarily tell you. But if he like again, you could win a wide decision and not struggle. But if if Ryder looks like if Ryder is hanging in there and Canelo is having difficulty putting him away, I think there's some serious questions to be asked at that point. Yeah, yeah, I, dude, Canelo is such a competitor though. Like I do think that the ceiling will catch up with him in terms of age and mileage sooner than we realize because again he turned pro at 15. And he's been so in early, yeah. So many big fights, but um. Like that's gonna catch up sooner than later, but dude, he's only thirty-two. Man, he he's such a competitor. He's gonna come out and be Canelo of old. I'm telling y'all. All right, here we go. I think the Bivol thing is a giant waste of time. But what are you gonna do? I agree with you on that, but it would be a another incredible feather if he can pull that off. Uh, let's go to topic three, which is a quick hitter series, Luke, of recent headlines. How about this? Chris Cyborg officially resigning with Bellator. She holds the women's featherweight championship. The press release was, uh, you know, filled with a lot of greatest female fighter of all time talk. And I, I'm never against Scott Coker when he presents her as that, even though she was stopped by Amanda Nunes. Um, Luke, this is not a huge news from the standpoint of like, oh, who's she going to fight now? She's been here. She's done that. I just wonder if like any of that PFL news is true. Okay. Right. You got like, her locked up. Maybe we get Kayla involved. You know what I mean? Maybe. I don't know. Right. It's like, it's like, okay, Bellator resigned her. PFL didn't. But if PFL is just going to buy Bellator, who gives a shit, right? So um, hard to know exactly what that means. Again, this seems like the very final chapter of her career. I doubt she's got a whole lot of longevity beyond this. She's still quite competitive, obviously, but in the space that she's in anyway. But 
you know, you don't have a whole lot of cyborg fights left. I'm guessing she's going to fill out this contract and then probably call it a day. 37 years old, but yet, man, you look up and down her her run, dude. Uh, 26 and two. Of course, lost that first pro fight, which is such a cool fo footnote on there. But I mean, Luke, it, she wasn't before 9-11, but from a female stamp, which is always our measuring stick on like, damn, you've Who's been old? around yeah. forever. But she did turn pro in 2005. So, um, I mean, you know, what did women's MMA look like in 2005, Luke? I was 25 years old. Yeah. Um, and I looked utterly Sweaty. different. <laughs> yeah. Than I look now. I look, I looked much better. Uh, not great, but better than this. Yeah, but mentally you were unhappy and broken, Luke. You know. Yes, that's true. Uh, Twenty-five. That's I was true. in a really bad place. That's true. Yeah, mm -hmm. weren't we all, Luke? To be very fair. Uh, yes. Women's boxing. Hey, Amanda Serrano is going to defend her, I believe, featherweight world titles. I could be wrong on the weight class here. But here's the deal. It's going to be in the Jake Paul Nate Diaz August. Dude, I gotta say that's a fucking main mismatch, event slot. man. This is a bad matchup. It's Heather Hardy, and this is no disrespect to Hardy. She's 41 years old, Luke. She's been around and always fights hard. She even had that run in Bellator. The two of them fought back, at, uh, you know, four or five years ago. And, man, Serrano handled her with, I mean, ease. Hardy's right. passed it. I mean, even though her, her record's still shiny, she's been a lot of close fights that could have gone either way. They're putting this as a pay-per-view. Like, I, I know it's just another sort of stay busy before we finally do the Katie Taylor rematch that got uh, announced and then pulled back due to an injury, but uh, you can't love this. You can't. I hate this. It's like, dude, I, yeah. I, I had Heather Hardy in studio once, she, just a totally nice lady from New York, just a mom trying to make it in the world. Couldn't be more cool. Couldn't be more down to earth. What a lady. I'm telling you, she's awesome. Oh, she's dude, Amanda Serrano is going to fucking run over her, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, I hate this matchup, dude. Like they're very different levels. Even if Hardy was in her prime, they're very different levels. Add to yeah, the fact that she's 41, like, nah, man, I'm I not mean, with it, it. It seems just to stay busy, get a name, and no, I mean, you're not going to tell Heather Hardy not to take that that uh, payday when in the women's game, Luke, especially in a long career yep. like that, they are few and far and you, between. And you know, she's probably been underpaid the vast majority of her career oh, anyway. I get it. Viciously you know? underpaid, yeah. I mean, Serrano, too, that's why the Jake Paul... Uh, business marriage was was so important and so fruitful to her. So uh, you know, I don't I don't knock her on this regard necessarily. But I mean, look, you want to see that Katie fight? But dude, Katie Taylor's got that big fight coming up at at one forty. So Katie Taylor has all four belts at one thirty five. She's moving up to one forty and fighting the undisputed champion there, Luke. So interesting time here in the women's game. You know who's got who loves that? Luke Ariel loves loves Katie Taylor loves he does oh my god like 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 me and and hot dogs luke okay i'm talking about like like your boy bc and you know cinemax in 1994 okay luke like don't get me wrong i mean katie taylor's a great athlete to cheer for but what is the what is the genesis of his admiration do you know uh her legendary stature as a hero to the country and as a as you know as maybe the greatest female boxer of all time yeah fair enough I, d I definitely have a healthy respect for her. I mean, that, with that oh, fight I, she I, had with Amanda is absurd, you know. She's done nothing but be everything. I mean, it, it's amazing. She came in with so much pressure and hype and, you know, the country behind her and the, the Olympic success. 
I mean, she's awesome. She's the hardest worker in the room. Uh, it's not. It's not that man. Uh, yeah. You know, she also lives in Connecticut very quietly, Luke. And I forget about that. Often. Does she really? Yes. Yes. Maybe. Imagine me, Katie, and Glover walk into a. No, bar, no, right? you ruined it. It's you, Katie, Glover, and Apathy. You keep forgetting yeah. Apathy. Shouts yeah, to Apathy out there. I see you, yeah, player. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he needs. Maybe we need to run into each other at the Cumberland Farms. Me and Apathy. You know, as as App said, App holds it down like Magneto on a metal floor. How about that, huh? Wow, them are yeah. some hot bars. Wow, yeah. Uh, hey, Luke, Manny Pacquiao might be boxing again sooner than you think. Why? <laughs> because uh, he lost uh, a court injunction against his manager, Dude, this... Paradigm Sports, which also represents <laughs> Conor McGregor. And was ordered in court to pay a $5.1 million settlement in what originally was a breach of, uh, uh, what am I saying here? Breach of, breach of peace, Luke? Is it? No, breach of contract. That's what I'm trying to say. That was the accusation on the initial lawsuit. But um, tough L here, Luke. And you see, Connor was kind of victory lapping. And then he was like, oh, yeah, by the way, Artem Lobov, I'll take your house too. <laughs> I mean, like, all right, dude. Okay, all right. You know? I didn't see that. Did he really do that on social media? Yeah, dude, Connor is vicious in court, Luke, apparently. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say for old Manny. Dude, these guys, man, they I, I, I paid very little attention to the lawsuit. I think the result is somewhat surprising, but the the analysis I have is this, BC. These guys, between lawsuits and wives man these boxers just give away their money do they not they just give it away um yeah yeah i mean yeah most pro most young pro athletes Luke. when i say wives I, hold on let me let me say it a little bit differently divorces is what really what i mean yeah, between divorces yeah. and lawsuits they just give money they just give all their money away they just give it away i mean look we talked about how broke we were as people at age 25 and i'm not even talking about financials although i was dead broke there too luke and um you know uh we were we were absolute uh yeah i for, look i fell off i fell off you know i fell off the you know the the car ran off the road for a second there i was is this, is this train coming off the tracks here already yeah, it's gone, in, it's gone. yeah yeah we had a good run though all right anyway luke let's keep it rolling here let's move all on right. okay uh but austin vanderford is moving on luke the 11 and 2 middleweight bellator 297 on june 16th He'll be taking on Imam Shafi Aliyev, who is 9-0. Is that a tough matchup? Do you know anything about that guy? Yeah, that Dagestani dude. He had one fight in Bellator. You can go see it online. Fuck that kid up. I forget his name. Some American kid. Um, fucked him up real good. He looks like he's an absolute hammer. I think off, I think I, I think I looked him up this week and when I watched that fight, I think he's got six stoppages of those nine wins like just another one of those Damn. dudes and the old dc bag o hammers you can chuck in imam shafi aliyev in that in that list as well dude that's a badass name when you say it like that too luke yeah imam shafi yeah those uh, luke, the, i gotta tell you some of those islamic names they're regal man they're regal names a uh, second straight defeat for vanderford came in april of last year a tko in round one against aaron aaron jeffrey uh luke this is a Coming off of that that Musasi very early TKO defeat, this is like kind of must win for uh for old throat tad here, right? Yeah, like he he fell apart against Musasi, and you're like, okay, well that was just he got maybe he got injured too much too soon, whatever. 
And then you thought, okay, he's going to rebound against this Canadian dude with the mullet. No, no, he yeah. wasn't actually. He didn't do that at all. And so now you're like, well, well, where are you? Well, Bellator is like, let's find out. Let's find out exactly where you are. Not that beating him is some walk in the park, but like if he is that guy, he should be able to get it done. But if not, Aliyev is going to, he's going to, he's going to have him. He's going to have him. He's going to eat him for breakfast. So, yeah, he's going to put him on the grill, Luke. You know what I mean? Luke, what, what's the best thing you do on a grill? These days? Yeah. Um, I, my, my steaks are pretty good. They are pretty oh, good. Okay. All right. All right. That's, that, um, sounds, that sounds badass. Um, yeah. Look, if you got a job, if you got 99 cents, you can check out UFC Jacksonville on June 24th where they've added Neil Magny versus Phil Rowe. You into that? Hey, I think these two guys are tied for the longest reach in the welterweight weight class, and they're fighting each other, so that's fun. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Hamzat Chemaev, Luke, has heard that Kamara Usman would like to fight him so that he can get himself back into the title picture. Dana, Dana spoke about this today. What did he say? Well, excuse me, yesterday. Uh, he said that, yes, they are interested in doing an Usman and Chemaev fight, but uh, Chemaev's got, excuse me, Usman's got to go to 185. They're not going to do it right now at 170. He did say he would when yes, we read he did the, say he would. the quote the other day. So Chemayev's tweet was, someone needs to be poisoned for retirement. It, apparently that was in uh, Russian, Luke, but translated. That's not, that um, sounds like someone's Google machine translated that. What the fuck does that even yeah, mean? Yeah, that, that was our producer, Mikey. He did the translation for oh, me. Oh, he, so did could, the, he so actually could, literally did use Google Translate? Yeah, so okay. I could hear what that shit was that they were that they were speaking right there. Look, that's actually a badass fight at middleweight. I'd let prefer it at welterweight, but... That's yeah. badass, dude. I'd be happy to take it at welterweight. I'd be happy to take it lesser, but still happy at, at 185. Sure, just this. make it. You don't need a title at all. That's a pay-per-view main event, true or false? It is. It is, dude. That's a, that it is. could be. It could be. I'd could pay be. for that, and I'll pay for anything, Luke. Who, how do you get the pay-per-views? I pay for those. I expense them. All you right. expense them like a bitch. Yeah, with my court card. Yeah, yeah, take that. All right. Uh, Luke, finally, uh, Francis, you know, he might go to the PFL. We'll see if that rumor or that report, you know, continues to grow wings. Mm. But he may have an opponent waiting for him there that we did not mention, Luke. Why? Because your boy, Vi Cavallo, hasn't been around much lately. Isn't but he Luke, 50? He, he popped up on Twitter and he said this. Hi, Francis Ngannou. I shocked the world when I beat Fedor. Also, when I beat Kane. And I became undisputed UFC heavyweight champion. You have a lot of hole in your game. Let's go, at PFL. Only one way to find out. P PFL smart cage. Look, he, look he, he typed the whole thing in broken English, but then was like, oh, hold on. Meet me in the in the PFL smart cage. Damn right, dude. What a guy, right? Damn. Just they're just gonna fly that flag until everyone <laughs> pretends that the emperor is wearing clothes. You know what I'm saying? Wow, that was great. I mean, the dude, they are committed to that bit committed. for the education of that damn cage, Luke. Wow. Uh, you mentioned Verde uh, Verdum's age, 45 years old. Um, Almost we all love the guy there. 
We all love the guy, Luke. He did leave his UFC run in July of 2020 by submitting Alexander Gustafson, but that was a weird fight. But then he made that PFL debut in May of 2021 against Henan Fajeda. Turned out to be a no contest, originally a TKO win, though, for Fajeda. But Luke Verdum was like, what did he, was he do, deemed that he probably would never fight again after that, right? I, I can't remember the timeline, but then it was like, we, we won't see him. And then we did see him. And he looks fucking juiced to the Well, that's gills. what we're building towards. Can we go to that picture of the before and after? Yeah, I mean, guys, I got Yo. news for you. You can take all the testo stack you want, and God bless you, it'll do something for you. It ain't going to do this. It ain't going to do this. There's not enough chicken and broccoli and cold plunges and fasting and intermittent fasting and saunas to look like that you need some help and by the way i want to be very clear not hating even a little bit bc dude, fucking jealous of anything so ripped oh my god dude that's dude, put, awesome. i want to point out dude we're 43 you look pink we both look like we're melting we <laughs> dude, just I'm look absolutely terrible in a month all right yeah. i'm turning 45 we should put you at 45 on one side and then this motherfucker 45 on the other you're not even the same species neither am i i'm in the same boat as you i mean we're terrible. all right true or false he did look like shit the last few years physically to be fair right Looked terrible terrible yeah. and also i don't know how much uh whatever again i want to be clear i don't even give a fuck what he's on like it doesn't mean i'm good for him but i don't know I mean, here's the other part too at 45 he's taking a lot of damage you know i don't know like fighting fighting francis uh, <laughs> yeah you might no, need a little dude. of that in reserve. Uh, I don't know how that's going to go. So It's not going to go well. Uh, to close on here, because, you know, Verdum offering to fight Francis, who, again, may or may not. Look, we, we hear it's close, right? I mean, this this is probably happening, would you say, Francis? The probably, yeah, probably. Well, Daniel Cormier, you know, he works on ESPN during the day, Luke. He does DC and RC with Ryan Clark. They brought up the topic of Nganu, and... DC said it sucks because Francis was the man and he leaves. And now it seems like the options are very limited to me. It's the same thing as Lamar Jackson, but ultimately he ends up back with the Ravens. I believe that's what Francis should do. Francis and Ganu should just come back because the reality is this, the money that he was offered, I've heard was a very lucrative number. If he comes back to the UFC, nothing changes. He walks right back into being in the heavyweight title picture, fighting for the championship and getting paid at that championship level. End quote. Uh, <laughs> your holiday gift is in the mail, sir. <laughs> All hail Zufa, Luke. What are we doing? I mean, what? Really? I mean, guy who, uh, God bless DC. It's been an honor to cover I his career. I love but holy shit i mean if i I, dude he's gonna get espn tattooed on his ball bag at this point i mean (laughs) i mean luke um, and god is gonna end up back on espn he's right on pfl which is fine like you're allowed to cover that but why is it just automatically like oh yeah he screwed up he should be back here fighting for the money i mean luke true or false did i read this or did i make this up that part of this francis deal offer that ufc did that francis walked away from he was only going to make the money that one time against Jones. And if he lost, he was going to go back down to like what he was making before. Right. Which is how a lot of UFC contracts work. I mean, how much they reduce to will change depending on the fighter circumstances, but you'll see that there are escalating clauses for, you know, yeah. consecutive wins in many cases. Now, again, Demetrius Johnson might've been different at the time because he wasn't a pay-per-view fighter. So I don't know how that worked, but yes, a lot of times what you'll see is if someone has a three fight deal, let's say there's escalating 
um, amounts for wins, but the losses retreat you back to kind of a base level norm in those in those contracts. Look, I get being skeptical of Nganu and whether he ends up making this move feel like it was worth it under not his own parameters, but like the parameters of the you know court of public opinion. Like we can't grade it until it's over. So let's see what happens. But if we know that he's has a chance here to sign a very lucrative PFL deal. And then if it works out contract wise, can also seek a boxing fight that could like, could not only change his life financially in one night, but like it could actually be for the heavyweight championship of the world in boxing. If they end up doing it that way, I don't know how you can just be like, yeah, he's, he effed up right now. Uh, come back to the UFC. I want John Jones versus Ngannou more than anyone, but look, we can also knowingly counter and say, so did Francis and he was willing to do it for a while. But John didn't come back until Francis was assuredly gone. That part needs to be mentioned more often, I think, right? It didn't seem There's like just it a was... lot. The, the, this entire ordeal is just so embarrassing for the entire sport. People pretending Francis didn't have offers outside of UFC. People knowingly telling you of the destruction of this process and its absolutely terrible situation when nothing could be, from what we actually know when with, with what's vetted, what's vetted seems like the actual opposite is true we don't know what his boxing fortunes are going to be we don't know how this is all ultimately going to turn out but this dude this this lust for you know what's so funny to me bc it is a love of the orderliness of monopoly yes right? I, I i that's what they love because if you have everyone playing ball with the monopoly if you're the consumer everything gets fed to you Right on time, once a week, I can turn on my TV, and then once a month, I get the real special one, and it's just this continuous thing. Francis's real crime is that he disrupted that for people in the heavyweight division. He You're he got right. in the way of that, and that's why they're mad at him. He's the actor that left their favorite show over a contract to do a movie and isn't coming back, and they had to write him out of the storyline. I get that part. It's true. That's what it is, Luke. It's worse in the WWE world, by the way. It's one of the major reasons I... I, I was happy to get out at the time I did from a media standpoint is everyone there is just like, I don't care if our day-to-day -day with WWE sucks. This is what we know. So if it's AEW or anybody else pop, piping up, they, you know, they cheer for that to fail, Luke, because they love their own misery, you know? And people could say that about boxing, and I get it. That's just the area that the needle's in too deep. I can't go anywhere. You know what I mean? That you know, I, I don't want to go anywhere. You know what I mean? Uh, we, you know, we throw up in our mouths and then eat it, Luke. And sometimes it's good. You know what I mean? That's what we do here. Uh, hey, let's right. go to OK Bet. You ready for this? Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, we got to move it along. All right. Luke and I go head to head each week. Five picks, uh, five different categories. Last week, Luke Thomas went three and two overall. Oh, boy. Your, your, your boy, BC, just fell apart again. One and four. <laughs> Um, <laughs> something I'm not proud of. Um, I gotta say, you're. I gotta say, here's BC week to week. One week five and zero. Oh, next week one and four. Like you never hit three and two. You're always like one extreme or the other. Uh, Luke's total now twenty eight twenty five and one. BC is twenty two and thirty two. I'm essentially six games back, more or less. Yeah, There's you probably are. A half you there. are the Pacers, and I'm the Wizards. Not even. I'm more like I guess. I don't know hawks yeah. or something. Yeah, I don't know. You cut you. Yeah, nah, whatever. Who gives a uh, shit? Look, I watch. I started watching the NBA playoffs, and I'm so glad I didn't wait till the finals. It's it's awesome again. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm back. Yeah. Okay, I'm back. Dude, I'm back. All right. Warriors, Lakers. I'm in. I'm all in. 
Yeah, um, and the Celtics against the Sixers is even though it was a blowout uh, yesterday, that that's gonna be a good. That's a grimy one too, man. I like right, grime let's, let's in do my this, series. All right, I want to see men bang, Luke. All I right, think, let's go to these. I think Tukey's about to come home. Let me lock my door. Right. Hang on. Uh, no, Luke. <laughs> I mean, put up the. Put up the padlock, please. Lock, All right, we're lock good. Let's do this fucking show. Let's yeah. do this fucking show. All right, Luke, you going first? I will go first. We want to do main card picks. Excuse me, main event picks. And we are going to do, uh, of course, this UFC card, even though there is a one card. We're going to do the UFC card. I'm going to go with Alan. main event, Luke. We're just doing the biggest main event of the weekend, which yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, I understand. I'm saying we're picking, the UFC for, we're picking the UFC main event. That's the one we're doing. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Aljamain Sterling. And Ooh. I don't know. How confident I am because, like most people, Henry Cejudo has been off for three years. Plenty of questions. Uh, the division has grown up since then. Plenty of questions. He's 36. Even more questions. And his answers might be spectacular to them. I really can't say otherwise. I simply don't know. I just think that Aljamain Sterling is a much more difficult problem than he's given credit. I've been wrong about him in the past. I hope that um, better late than never, but we shall see. I'm going to go with Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, I've been wrong about Aljo in the past too, Luke, and I've been happy to be proved wrong, but he's probably going to have to prove me wrong for proving him wrong or thinking that I was uh, one more time, Luke, because Henry Cejudo's going to come back and in his own Captain America, Randy Couture-like way, he's going to do what he does, figure out the problem in the middle of the fight calmly and coolly. But like we talked about in the analysis set up to this on Wednesday, if the ground game cancels each other out in its own way, just by, you know, maybe establishing the threat of, but not becoming a factor. And this is a kickboxing matchup in which, you know, I, I like what Cejudo could potentially do here, even with the time off. The time off for almost anyone else at this level to come back against a reigning champion who's also in the pound for pound top 10 is as uphill a climb as possible. But I think... I think we've we've learned enough to know exactly who Henry Cejudo is and who he is is really special. So I'm not going to miss that anymore or doubt it as hard as this is. But unless he screws around, unless he gasses out in ways we can't predict and gets submitted, I think he's going to have a chance after 25 minutes to get his hand raised. And I wonder if he has the bigger puncher, or at least I'm going to assume he is in, in what I've seen. Luke could end up getting the nod because of that down the stretch here. If this He's definitely the bigger puncher. Now. He's absolutely yeah. the bigger puncher, no doubt about it. So All right, there you go. All right, so for me, for we're going to move to favorites. Uh, so we have to pick our favorite again. You can't be like some crazy amount it has to be within a reasonable amount. So for me, BC, this is the gentleman I was referencing earlier. I'm going to go with Ikram Alaskarov taking on Phil Hawes. Alaskarov is a not a huge favorite. Our friends at Caesars have him at minus one ninety five. I think it's a little conservative, but again, Hawes is certainly much improved in the dynamite athlete. Nevertheless, I think he gets his hand raised. He is so good everywhere. Another one of these hammers out of Dagestan, Ikram Alaskarov to win. All right. I'll have to add another spot on my shelf, Luke. Let's go to my favorite. It's going to come in that co-main event at UFC 288. According to Caesars at the moment, Bilal Muhammad plus 105, minus 125, Gilbert Burns, uh, give me the favorite here, Luke. I talked about it. My concerns are my questions. The three-week turnaround is going to be big for somebody. It could be positive or negative for both of them in terms of when this fight got negotiated and announced with Bilal so close to Ramadan. Burns just coming off of a camp, but now we're doing five rounds in a number one contender fight. Both are just animals, and they're gamers, and they're going to come, and they're going to bring it. But I think Gilbert Burns is just the, the better, more well-rounded fighter 
who's probably operating at the best version of himself. And I think that best version is better than me remembering the name at the moment. And, and Bilal's really put it together and he's dodged the bullets and he's here, Luke. He's going to have that chance. Give me Burns by decision, though, after five rounds. I, I understand it. I get it. I totally do. I think Bilal Muhammad followed me on Twitter tonight, by the way. So that's yeah. interesting. He wants you to uh, remember that shit, Luke. I like that guy a lot. All right. For my underdog pick, this one is surprise. I mean, maybe not super surprising, um, but I'm going to go for my underdog with Devin Clark. Devin Clark, according to our friends at Caesars, is a plus 162. I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this gentleman's name. He fights out of Fortis MMA, Kennedy and Zetch QU. Uh, and Zechku Wu, I'm not sure exactly how you say it. Please forgive me. Uh, I know it's a tough one. It's a tough one, right? It's a tough one. Uh, but the point being is this. Kennedy is rangy. He has deceptively good power. He's gotten a lot better, much better uh, decision-making. And Devin Clark, I still feel like is kind of like a more like a one-gear-ish kind of guy where a lot of wrestling, in-your-face pressure. But Kennedy has been known at times to give away rounds for that reason. That's why the odds are already pretty close. Clark will take the fight to him, and for that reason alone, and because he can wrestle, he's obviously very strong and very physical with it. I like Clark's chances here as an underdog in that role. All right. Uh, my underdog pick, Luke, it's going to surprise you here. It's going to come in one championship. Your current odds on Sage Northcutt, minus 155. He's the favorite. I'm going to go Ahmed Mutaba at plus 125. I mentioned mm. he's 10-2 and two overall. He's off two straight wins, both finishes here in one championship. And it's almost the flip side of the Henry Cejudo question. Uh, after all this time, I've learned who Henry Cejudo really is. It gives me the confidence to believe he comes back with all that time off and acts almost like nothing happened. The problem is if even if, you know, Sage came back and acted like nothing happened and was the same, the guy he left, Luke, wasn't a finished product either, and I'm happy for him that he's going to come back on his own terms. I've always enjoyed interviewing him, and he's a great kid. Um, and, you know, it's not like he wasn't in shape during this long break. But I, I still got those huge questions about him as, as like, a fighter, you know? As, like, like, do you want – you know what I mean? Not, like, not the hunger, do you want this, but, like, are, are you built for this? I'm not – I don't know. I'm not sure. You got to show it to us. You know what I mean? Show it to us here. Dude, that was like um, – I mean, let's be honest. There's There's, there's – there's bad injuries, there's serious injuries, and then there are traumatic injuries. Yeah. And yeah. he had the latter of those, man. He got messed up bad. The fact that he's fighting at all is somewhat remarkable. And honestly, I think this is actually a clever bet. Now, if he goes in there and beats this dude's ass, everyone's going to be like, oh, BC, that pick sucked. But I think there's a reasonable chance that like you just can't get right after an experience like that, and this could all come crumbling down, which I would understand. I'm not even judging it that it goes that way. So I think it's a pretty smart bet, actually. Yeah. Like with my diet, Luke, and who I follow on Instagram, I, too, like to live dangerously. All right. <laughs> let's go. Uh, all right. For my over-under, I know it's on short notice, but the guy is just a decision machine. I'm going to go with Movsar Evloev and the, I think, Diego Lopez fight going the distance. Lopez is actually probably underrated. Um, no one really knows who he is, but again, he is a Brazilian who's been living in Mexico. He's been training other UFC fighters. He's a black belt himself. He's got enough to probably survive, and I think Evloev should should obviously win this one walking away, but might be surprisingly conservative when you get someone on last minute notice who, you know, they're gonna, they're they're there just to just to spoil the party. Like they don't. There's no pressure on that guy to win at all. If they win, it's amazing. So 
Uh, that one has a recipe for, yeah, I, I guess Evlov could run him over or maybe Lopez shocks the world, but I suspect Movsar wins a decision. It goes the full distance. All right, Luke, my over-under is going to go on that UFC preliminary card. How about Chaos Williams back at welterweight against Rolando Bedoya? Uh, these guys go for finishes, Luke. It's easy. Go for the under on this one. Uh, Chaos, eight finishes and 13 wins, Luke. He's got a bunch of knockouts here, too. Uh, let's continue that aggressiveness into an early ending. Thank you. All right. Uh, and then last but not least, for KO or sub, this is an easy one. I'm going to go Andrade and Jan ends in KO. I feel like that's just a wow, very safe bet. Very yeah. safe bet. Yeah. Uh, just because this week, Luke, has just been like, look, people – I was like partying and not not working out at all when they called me for Aaron Blanchfield. Like I took that for the money. Like you got to represent and understand that. You know, she went in there happy, just like let's go have fun, let's throw bombs. You know, now she's back at one fifteen and she's ready to hurt people. That's the truth. Okay, you knew it. Uh, Luke K KO or sub. I'm going to go knockout here. How about Braxton Smith Parker Porter? This has the biggest potential to be uh, the sloppiest fight on the card with with you know heavyweights and. You know, waistlines and big right hands, Luke. Uh, <laughs> let's let's dial for donuts here. I'm in. Let's go with the knockout. So, you know, don't don't you just can't be fat shaming heavyweights. I just don't. I won't. I won't stand for it. Yeah, I know. And it, we have fun stuff, but the WWE really should have. I mean, they could have. They did DC dirty with that referee shirt. I mean, I mean you got to really don't. Like, the vertical stripes yeah. is like my guy. They're not. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Uh, Luke, let's close quickly with some dead wrong. We sometimes... Uh, hey, real quickly, are we going to talk about this uh, Jorge Masvidal thing real quickly? Yeah, yeah. You, you caught some breaking news here. What do you got? Well, I was breaking at the time we record this, but basically, uh, Jorge, this according to this, uh, this gentleman, Andy Slater, Andy Slater identifies himself, according to Twitter, uh, he's verified, but he's got 26,000 followers, talk show host, on-air personalities, I break news, he is out of Miami, Florida. He is reporting that, um, okay, Jorge Masvidal's house in Miami has been swarmed by cops. The UFC star's father is in custody after allegedly shooting someone at the fighter's house during an argument, a senior law enforcement source tells me. And he goes on to say, uh, Jorge Masvidal was not at the house when the shooting happened. He's out promoting that game-bred uh, bare-knuckle card. Uh, and here's what he says. Yes, he was out promoting his bare knuckle boxing event, which takes place Friday night at the FLA Live Arena. Um, pretty serious, pretty bad, but don't know what else to say other than sounds very deeply unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. I hope everybody's okay, Luke. That's starting to sound like a Scarface sequel script or something. We don't need that, Luke. We don't need it. I know. I, I, I mean, the fact that they, I, I, again, who the hell knows what the real connection is, but remember like how in the embedded before 287, they showed all the guns or Jorge yeah. showed all of his guns in his house. Oh yeah. I don't know. If, I don't remember if his dad was in any of those scenes or whatnot. Well, I or remember what not thinking, is, but. I remember not thinking that was a good look. Luke. <laughs> I was like, guys, like every rule of firearm safety is almost being broken in a situation yeah. like that. Again, I don't know what the situation is with this one, but just in terms of like, basic firearm safety don't do that shit that's never a good thing you know all right luke uh we talk a lot of shit and sometimes we're wrong in that regard uh so we got two receipts here from the fans because they thought ultimately that we was dead wrong dead wrong gotcha 
God, I look stupid every day of my life. Every yeah. day of my life, I just look in the mirror and I go, really? We're going to do this well, again Luke, today? Now you're on trial, okay? Uh, here's what uh, <laughs> Nima says. Uh, Hope you've had a nice week bricycling your Mitchell into others' clothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, bricing oh, Bryce. Mitchell. <laughs> Bricing your Mitchell into others' clothing. Wow, that's a, that is wow. On this week's Wednesday's episode, when BC and Luke were discussing the upcoming Burns versus Bilal fight, BC was talking about Burns's chances mm. and referring to his fight against Chimaev, mentioning, "Oh, some still believe that he won three to two. Well, that's not possible. He may have won that right, fight, won. but perhaps two to one as it was a three-round fight and not a five-round fight. That's fair. What you Fun meant was the, the the majority of rounds. I, I know what you meant. Yeah, I know what you yeah. meant. Fun fact for you guys, Burns had only one five-round fight in his entire career, and that was against Tyron Woodley. And don't worry, Brian, we still love you. You're the cheerful one, unlike Luke, who has a heart like a grave. <laughs> and they put it into a hashtag. That's great. All the best, uh, Nemo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got that wrong. I, I, I stand up for that. Look at that. We have a lot of fights that don't need truthers that are people are like, man, I think the other guy won. I still feel like Burns won that fight and no one cares. I mean, you know, I didn't make us think about it either, but it was a great fight. I, I kind of thought he might have edged it, but I haven't. You know what? I've never gone back and rewatched that fight. That fight is bananas. Yeah, we should do it together one day. Oh, Luke, did you see that um, the better Lawler fight is going in the Hall of Fame this year? Which fight? Lawler versus McDonald 2 is going into the UFC Oh, Hall yes, of yes, Fame. yes, yes. I did see that. Why? Why do you bring that up? Because you always told us that Lawler Condit was the better fight, even though well, you listen. know that not to well, be listen. true. Well, listen, just like we did this um, draft card challenge, and the numbers are basically equivalent. I mean, maybe I had edged it out a little bit, but it was it was basically neck and neck. What I realized is I now know and understand why Hollywood recycles old IP. It's because the world is filled with dullards who just want the same shit fed back to them over and over and over rather than trying something new. You guys are all toddlers who don't want to have, you know, I'm not going to eat my burger with cheese on it. Eat your fucking burger. But they won't because they got the palate of Yo, a toddler. That's that's your right. side of the voting aisle. We'll right get there. to that, that card comparison to close here. Final dead wrong here from Jordan. During BC's live chat, episode four, around 32 minutes, he referenced fans coming after him with, quote, flaming forks. <laughs> For his initial scorecard for Holloway versus Allen. BC, Just, did you maybe mean torches and pitchforks like in Shrek? Oh, wow. This is the stupidest uh, show on earth. It really is. So <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, thank you for the live chat. Looking forward to more art. So am I. Hope your liver did okay on vacation. Mahalo. It's uh, Jordan. <laughs> Hawaii. Wow. Such nice people. Flaming <laughs> uh, forks. This. Look, we did the pay-per-view draft challenge to see who could produce a better fictional international fight week card. And there was a controversial slide in when I stole Adesanya from you. But we were both largely unhappy with our own cards, mostly because your main event was just inconsciousable. And also because I produced... you fucking Philistine. <laughs> I produced too many rematches because if I just would have put, Luke, if I just would have put, Adesanya versus Chimaev in the main event, 
everything would have been fine. Everything. Well, here's the thing. Here's what people liked they about your card, from what I could tell. In fairness, the Chimaev nickel fight is a banger. I mean, that's just... I, I even said it at the time. That one rocks. So is Gaethje Poirier, too, yo. So right. is Gaethje Poirier, too. Like, that one feels, like, fresh enough where, okay, it's not so bad. But the problem was all the fucking other ones. Yeah. It's like your main event was the fifth fucking time those guys yeah. were together. But, dude, I'm telling you, yeah. they're going to they're gonna keep making Mario Brothers movies and Avengers shit until people are blue in the face. Because that's what they want. They want their buttered spaghetti, no red sauce, every time they go out. Uh, do we have any uh, items, graphics related to this? Because we did put like a vote up to the to the fans yeah. on social media, and I think Mikey did calculate the the total of uh, no graphics. All right, well, Luke, we did go <laughs> head to head with those five fights. The state of the art technology here at the USS. <laughs> I believe <laughs> our. Our very informal Twitter poll, i.e., just counting all the responses, has you up uh, seventy-seven, seventy-two. People it's a preferred wash. your it's card, a wash. Luke. Do you know what that's really saying? They just prefer you. They're not like they didn't even look at the card. Your main event is 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 unconsciousable. Okay, Luke. Yeah, right. the main event is bad. I did have a couple people defend the main event. I was like, you don't, you don't even have to defend that for me, guys. You can just let that one go. Uh, that's it's Ishtar, okay. Luke. Okay. Yeah. I guess yeah. so. All right. Jorge's uh, got a nice house, according to the uh, my the the news I'm watching here. Yeah, I know he toured it with Brett on camera, and then showed off all those guns to to try to warn people not to, <laughs> to come deter after. people. I guess, yeah, yeah. Uh, Luke, that's the show for today, um, May fifth here, two thousand twenty three. Hey, big weekend of fights. Enjoy it. I want you to tell the people what you got cooking Saturday night, Luke. Saturday night, come right back here. UFC 288 post-fight show immediately after the main event. I got you covered. Come on back. All right. Don't you want it? Come hey. All right, dude. Like, I need to go like put my kid to bed. We got to. I, I, I could have got one more bar in, though, probably. I mean, it would have been fine. It wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't have. Yeah, all right. Hey, for, for Luke Thomas, uh, the greatest producer in live podcasts, Michael Mormile, um, and myself, BC, Enjoy this weekend. Watch us Saturday night. Instant analysis. We out of here. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's probably.